Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts. Ethan, two of your hosts. One more time. Say that one more time. You cut out. And I'm Ethan, two of your hosts. And we're back with season four of Star Trek Lower Decks. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the episode entitled Tuvix. Spelled in the way that I've often... We're not talking about Voyager. Oh, wait. Yes, we are. Spelled in the way that I've often accidentally spelled Tuvix. With the number two spelling. But yep. uh, this episode was first aired on September 7th, 2023. It was written by Mike McMahon. We all know the creator and showrunner of the show. Directed by Barry J. Kelly, whose significant um, uh, resume points are... Star Trek Lower Decks. That's it? That's it. Hmm. An easy one. All right. Well, I don't even know what to say to this one. I mean, it's like, it's just, a, it's a complete and total love letter to Star Trek Voyager in the most ridiculous way possible. The only way that Lower Decks can, um, can do. So we learned that the USS Voyager is being converted into a museum as we later saw it on Star Trek Picard, before it winds up in the Starfleet Museum, as we see on Star Trek Picard, um, it's going to wind up on Earth for a little while. And they're making a whole exhibit out of it on the grounds of Starfleet. And, of course, the responsibility of getting Voyager to Earth falls to the Lower Decks crew. And as you all may imagine, crazy shit happens. Because it's Voyager. Crazy shit happens. Voyager-themed crazy shit happens. Yes. And... I liked, so I, I got to tell you now, I, of course, like the series Voyager, but I never really thought about this until Lower Decks pointed it out, specifically when Ransom does say it's Voyager, weird shit happens or crazy shit happens or something like that. And I never really gave that much thought, but it's true. I hadn't I, it's just, I never really thought about it. And it's true. As soon as he said that, I'm like, yeah, a lot of crazy shit did happen on that show. Didn't it? Star show. I mean, every Star Trek show. Sorry, I have Ahsoka on my mind. Every Star Trek show kind of has crazy shit that happens. Yeah, and but what I like about it is it's not just they could have pretty much done anything with it as far as because what they do is they bring back all of these you know enemies, villains, and plot lines from Voyager. But they decided to lean into the more absurd ones rather than kind of the more serious ones and I like that they went in that direction. Uh, again, perfect for lower decks, right? Yes, and also the, I do like that they kept it somewhat realistic that they were holodeck. Right. Um you know, villains because mm -hmm. the other ones were off in the far very far away space. So right. You can't but, really do it with them. But also, like Lower Decks, it wasn't just about the gags, right? There was actual, there was an actual Lower Decks story there that developed the characters. So we finally learned that the Lower Deckers, specifically Boimler, are now up for promotion. And I remember you and I talking about this on the show on the show years ago. We were thinking, is the show are they just going to be Lower Deckers for the entire show, right? Or are we eventually going to see them get? promoted and i like how even at the end of the episode they kind of get into that because they get they do get promoted to lieutenant junior grade and 
uh, I think it's Tendi who points out, yeah, but we're not lower decks anymore. And he's like, well, yeah, we kind of are. We just don't have to do, we don't have to do like the holodeck stuff, but there's other stuff that we have to do that isn't really fun. I think pointing out that they are the lower decks of command in a way. Right. They're the very bottom rung. Correct. But I, and, and I, mm-hmm. but I don't think they needed that. I think the show's called Lower Decks. It'll always be called Lower Decks, even if they become captains. Right. Right. So, but my feeling on that is that's all well and good, but don't forget that the Cerritos itself is not a very important ship. So even if they may no longer be Lower Decks in the literal sense, the Cerritos is still doing these things that are not very impressive or very important. And with and by extension, they have to do, yeah. They're the Starfleet lower decks. All Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. So, but we got that. We finally got that character that you really like, Talyn, joining the show. Finally. Finally. What a what a voice on the actor that's playing Talyn. Mm-hmm. It just is a um, remarkable. I don't even know. I didn't even look to see who it is, but yeah, just a great voice. I it's, don't know if it's a great Vulcan voice. I just know it's a great voice generally. It's not clear to me yet what her specific role is going to be, but I like that she's there, and I like that the I like she she's basically playing the role from what we have seen so far that I'd hoped for that she's just the typical Vulcan foil, right? And I think Tendi really wants to bring her into the group, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely. So. Um, let me begin here. So as we said, you know, this is the entire episode is just one massive tribute to Voyager and they're essentially converting the ship into an actual, you know, museum. So there are all of these basically, um, displays of all the, you know, the crazy shit that happened on that ship. And you have this really almost annoying curator and right away things get crazy. So instantaneously they go right into one of the craziest episodes of Voyager, which was macrocosm season three. We've learned that one of those macroviruses was hiding inside the ship the entire time. And that's a, and like I said, that's a season three episode. So that thing's been hiding <laughs> through four seasons, three and a half, four and a half seasons of Voyager, three and a half seasons, I think more of Voyager. And then for an additional couple of years, what after they got home. So naturally when the macrovirus gets out, thanks Mariner. Um, it begins to multiply and suddenly we're back into the, that episode um, macrocosm. Yeah, it was, it was hungry when it got out. Yes. And, but it's, I got to tell you watching all of this take place. I was thinking about how, when we saw Bozeman, Montana last season in lower decks and we saw that it was the site of first contact and how it was converted into basically an amusement park. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I like how Voyager has sort of essentially, or ironically, I guess, turned into sort of an amusement park as well. And all of these stupid villains, the macrovirus, the clown from the Thaw, Ka- um, uh, Chaotica. Chaotica, I almost said Captain Proton, Chaotica, um, the I, Michael, he wasn't even a villain, but Michael Sullivan from Fairhaven, um, the 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 Fairhaven just was hilarious, right? There was no <laughs> the salamanders from the thirties from uh, Threshold, which I which made perfect sense. Yes, yes. 
I like that they all sort of became, in a way, thrill rides for like a Voyager amusement park. And I thought to myself, if this is what Voyager actually would have been in the Lower Decks world, like that would make perfect sense. It would just be a thrill ride of all these stupid aliens that they've met throughout the show. Yes, it would be the Dr. Chaotica coaster. Right. And definitely some Borg dark ride. Mm Mm-hmm. I was, I gotta say though, I was oddly disappointed though that the, I kind of hoped that the doctor from Voyager would appear. Like, not, maybe not the actual doctor, but I thought to myself, well, surely to make the exhibit really good, there would be maybe like a backup or like a version of his program present on Voyager to give it's you the not, full experience. It's not a sentient one. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. That yeah. was too bad. I bet, I bet there was, I mean, they didn't have any of the voices, so. Perhaps it was a um, yeah a money decision, right? They can't if they won't spring for them for uh, Picard. They're not going to spring for them for lower decks. <laughs> Just a voice for a couple of minutes. You think Robert Picard was that affordable? Would cost less. Well, he's, he's he's allegedly he's supposed to be appearing in season two of Prodigy at some point, but I thought that maybe they would uh, he would be here, but um, but simultaneously, there's also you know not forgetting the name of the episode, there is actually a Tuvix plot going on where the exact same thing happens between Doctor, the Doctor and um, who was the other person? Just some Phillips. random. Yeah. Who, because they have, the, they have one of those flowers left over from that time. And of course, the exact same thing happens again. But what I like about it is that it's not only does it happen again, but then it just like gets really, really absurd because they start using it to turn other people and combine other people. Right. So it, to it's make an army, essentially. We get the organism, and the organism, as uh, Talin keeps calling it, yeah. the organism, um, you know, the organism loves being alive, just like Tuvix. Mm-hmm. And so the organism figures out that the solution is to kill it in order to bring the people back. So then decides it's going, it needs allies. And if we can make the captain into a into a Tuvix, which has become an official verb in yes, yes. in Starfleet. Yes. So if he can Tuvix the captain, then um they're not gonna get killed. Mm-hmm. And so that's the plan. Um it was very interesting that it's to Lynn that knows right away the only solution here is to kill it. So yep. don't get close to it, don't talk to it, don't become its friend. And of course it's Tendi who's very innocent and wants to uh be friends with. I like the name Tillops. It's very. I love that the the personality of the organism is like the doctor. If the doctor was even more of a crass person than they were a dude. Yes. Yes. There was not much of Billups left in there, other than his uh, look. Right. And they've combined to be the name becomes Tillops, which I thought was that was really really funny. Yes. Yes. And and just the whole vibe, like I think it's summed up in the line where. Uh, Talin refers to it as an organism, and uh, it responds, "Organism, Pfft, I'm a totally unique sentient being. Plus, I'm cool as beep." That was hilarious. And I like how they, you know, Captain Freeman is looking over the uh, log histories to see how Janeway handled it, and just, and she, you know, she's shocked to find out like Janeway murdered him. Like we can't, you know, like we can't. What the, what the fuck? She just murdered Tuvix. Yeah, and, and she says he begged her to live. And Shaq says, holy beep, Janeway did not mess around. That was great, because we know Shaq's is a badass, but right. even 
to to Shaq's Janeway was uh, a step above. Well, and I think it should. Be, I think it's worth mentioning that um, you and I did enjoy the original Tuvix episode from Voyager. I know yeah. it has a somewhat right. of a. I've said this a few times. It's never really within the context of how it's talked about in various places. I, I can never really get a handle on whether people like it or not. It's very, very strange. It's just it's a struggle I think it's for me. Because the actual character of Tuvix was a bit was pretty silly. Yeah, like well, is it the episode they don't like, or is it the character? Like, what is it? Yeah, I think it's probably that that character. But I do think that the moral quandary, the ethical quandary, is is as real and good as a measure of a man. Really, I mean, here you have a being mm -hmm. created not of their own choice, and in order to bring back two of your crew members, you have to kill this being. And is that morally okay? There's no good answer. Do you, with that in mind? Do you kind of wish that Lower Decks did try to go, tr try to play that card and do a little bit of morality with this again? No. No? <laughs> no. no. I like that they went the funny route. And, and essentially, Talyn, I, I didn't think Talyn meant it, but by making it, it into a, just a big blob of that all different great. people. That was great. Yeah. It was easy to, to decide to kill it because it was not didn't have a personality and it didn't seem good at all. I like that they took it a step further and decided that, okay, now we're going to try to make an army of these people to preserve ourselves instead of just having it be one. I mean, I really like the idea behind that because they just sort of take the same idea and rather than just completely copy what Voyager does, they decide to just take it a couple of steps farther, which I think was really good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so... I got to say, though, like the the stuff on Voyager, I thought was, you know, going back to all this, all the crazy shit that they'd done on Voyager. The one thing I was not expecting was them to go back to to use one of, I think, the worst plot the plots on the show, which comes from the episode Learning Curve, which is about Neelix's cheese <laughs> and the way it infects the bioneural gel packs. I didn't even think Lower Decks would, would, would bother with that one. I thought that was sort of beneath them. But I like that they used it as a way to disable the ship entirely. Yeah, it was really the whole key to the to the saving the day was the cheese. Because that episode, that's from, a fir that's from the first season of Voyager called Learning Curve. And it's just not a very good episode. And it's, it's you know, there's a line in that episode where Belana Torres at one point says, you know, get that cheese to sickbay. Like, it's just, it's not very, it's just a very stupid, it's a subplot of the episode, really, but it's just not a very good episode, in my opinion. And so, which I think is one of the best is, things for Lower Decks to call back to. Yeah. Um, the, I had some really big laugh out loud moments, but I think the big, the best was, of course, now, obviously, with it's, it's going to be Threshold, the Salamanders from Threshold. I was, I mean, that's totally fair game for Lower Decks to go after that episode because it is one of the worst episodes of Star Trek of all time. And I laughed so hard. There was a moment, um, it's just after the, now these are mo these are mock-ups of the Salamanders. It's not actually a real, one of the real yeah, sort of, um, of like a Hall of Presidents style. Right. So there's a moment when the Salamander gets assimilated and you see it like slowly inch its way past the open cargo bay door and 
I just it was set up so perfectly, and I laughed like a fucking maniac when I saw that. That was that was quite good. That was quite good. And the fact that it was like sitting in the caption chair, and I thought to myself, you know, these are just mock-ups of Paris and Janeway. So I'm assuming the one that's sitting in the captain's chair is probably Janeway, even though they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But it was so great. And I love that they I love that they did that and just used that. Because it was so like it's not even a real it's a mock again it's a mock up and it's assimilated so like what would that even do, and it was just I don't know there was just so much around it that was so ridiculous that I just just really yeah they're assimilating a mechanical which has no intelligence to begin with right it has, doesn't I don't think it adds anything to their unique uh, right um, um, I think for me the funniest I love the presence of Michael and I love all of his two lines were fantastic they were. I love you, but I can't be with you. And then uh, Mariner responds, Ooh, I like this guy. Because, yeah, they were... So he was featured in two episodes of Voyager. There was a holodeck program they used um, called Fairhaven. Fair a romance for Janeway, right? Well, it was, it was an Irish town called Fairhaven, I think in like the late 1800s or early 1900s. Uh-huh. And they went there in two episodes, one called Fairhaven, the other one was called Spirit Folk. And Janeway was sort of falling in love with Michael Sullivan. He was the he ran the tavern in the town. Mm-hmm. And so she began to like reprogram him and you know. But then in the second episode, the they become aware that they are like they do like a whole like um this is like where Voyager becomes like TNG light, in my opinion, because they begin to they begin to borrow a lot of different plots from them. They sort of do a ship in a bottle thing where the everybody on the holodeck realizes that suddenly realizes that they're holograms and they become self-aware. And so um yeah, it's not a very interesting episode. But, but, but um just a very funny character to be interacting with our lower decks. Right. Well, and the crew. thing is he but the thing what I found was so funny about it was that he not only is he not very memorable, but he wasn't even a villain to begin with. Everybody else there was villains. Were villains. He's not even Michael wasn't even a villain. He was like a nice guy in the middle of yeah, all of this. Yes, but he seemed like he was stuck working for Chaotica. Right. And I love the the other line that's hilarious is when he's on the um he's sort of like watching the bridge for Chaotica and he says, Hmm, I miss my wife. <laughs> but uh, I do I do like I do yeah, I do like Mariner's line. Yeah. Oh, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he's like the charming, well, he's a charming guy. Everybody gets promoted mm. um, on the ship where Harry Kim never got promoted. Correct. Or because of their actions on a ship that. Well, not everybody. Not everybody got promoted. Well, he did eventually. Yes, but we're only talking about the first episode. Oh yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Wait, were they promoted in this episode? Rutherford yes, was not promoted. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Even Talyn got promoted. She hasn't even been there for that long. Right. Yeah. But I like that they got, I mean, it was nice that they got promoted. Um, I mean, it was set up, you know, Boimler's doing holiday cleanup duty again. And, you know, of course, Ransom says, unless you fuck up in some, what does he say? Like some his major historical way. Uh, yeah. In a historically significant historically way. significant way. And then ironically, the Rutherford it, says, this mission is historically significant. Right. Um, but I like there were some nice moments there. Like I like when they had that moment between Boimler and Mariner when he said he didn't want to take promotion because he was afraid that it was going to be the Titan all over again. 
You could lose a friendship, yes. I, it's weird to me that, and it's touching in some ways too, that, and it, it not to jump ahead, but it does happen again in the next episode, where they almost don't, they like each other so much, they almost don't want to be promoted just so they can stay together. Yeah. It is nice, but I mean, it's such a it's modern. Good. It's such a modern day thing, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. true. Yeah. Uh, one other thing. So I do think that the episode got a little bit lazy, and I know it's a cartoon, yada yada. But their solution was pretty silly. In that they were going to break up the blob, but they can tell the personalities of the different parts of the blob. Like it just didn't make a lick of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't really sure about that either, but... My slight nitpick is that that made no sense. I was willing to sort of overlook that one, but... Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, I, do have I, to guess I do have to mention some, you know, and sort of keeping in line with the continuity. So, you know, we were talking about how we do see Voyager in the Fleet Museum in Picard, right? And Captain Freeman mentions that Voyager's going to come to Earth first before it's moved permanently into orbit. Which, but then it seems to go to the, there's no fleet museum in orbit of Earth. So something, of course, ex, has to explain why it eventually goes to Picard. But that's the, where it is in Picard, like that, like that's, that's two decades later. That's 20 years later. So I'm assuming something changed yeah, I think at that point, right? Yeah, moves around a lot. But I'll tell you something interesting. So in the final episode of Voyager, when future alternate Janeway comes back and talks to Captain Janeway, she does mention that and I forget, I, forgive me, but I think this should line up. I forget the year she supposedly comes from in Endgame. But she mentions to Janeway, Captain Janeway, that Voyager is a museum on the grounds of the Presidio. Which is exactly where Voyager was in this episode. Yeah. So um, I believe they do come from the same timeline, like a, a, a close to the same year. I don't think it's the exact same year, but it's pretty close. So yeah, and even though it's an alternate future, they're still keeping in line with that. Yeah, there could have been an intentional way to fit it, which is nice. Right. So I thought that was that I thought that was a nice touch. I I am kind of curious. How does it eventually get to the Fleet Museum in Picard? Do they just end up moving the Fleet Museum? I don't I don't know because you would ask me. You were like, I remember you were like, is if that Fleet Museum wasn't in orbit of Earth, right? And I remember saying it's not in orbit. I think it's it's close. No, it's like nearby. It it's nearby, no. but it's not. Yeah. Oh, I know it wasn't because they had to. They were protecting Earth and they had to go to get it. Right. It was, in the opposite direction. It was close. Like it was close by. It wasn't that far away. Yeah. yeah. Super. Um, because that's what they yeah. had to go oh. to get the Enterprise. So what do you think about the fact that we get a teaser or a part of the next episode at the end of this episode? This is, I don't believe we've seen this before. I was thinking about that. Like weren't I sort we, of thought the next episode had started. Didn't we kind didn't we kind of get that though? Like well, sort of. I mean, it was sort of. They, I think it was season two. They were kind of building up the pack leads somewhat. I said, I feel like we've been down this road, kind of, but not so explicit. Maybe. Could be. It was yeah. just. Well, it was, it was weird because when that episode, when that moment came, so so. Basically, a mystery ship comes along, and attacks a Klingon vessel. And destroys it. And we don't know what the mystery ship is. We don't know anything about it. And no, we're very reminiscent of the beginning of Star Trek Four. Yes. 
Oh, that you reminded me of something, but yes. Yep. Especially when you combine it within the beginning of the following episode where we have the Romulans being destroyed by it. Right. It, um, I think, so when I first saw that ship, it kind of looked like one of the shuttle pods from Enterprise, just heavily, heavily modified. But then as soon as, like, you know, it had like similar wings, had kind of a similar shape. But then once it sort of went a bit, looks like it stood up is a weird way of putting it. Then that kind of changed everything. But I I wasn't really sure what what it was exactly, like what it's supposed to be doing. So, um, and, and nobody is. So, but that's what stood out to me. It kind of looked like something from Enterprise, but heavily, heavily, heavily modified. So, um, but to your point, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is the first time. It might be the first time this has happened, where it's sort of setting up the some kind of a villain right away. Um, because then in the next episode, they they pick it up right away in the next episode too, which is a little, yeah, which still don't deal with it. So it's yeah. laying this foundation for this being a. Um you know, a threat on the horizon, which is neat. Yeah. The show to be doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how I feel about it though. Because lower decks has just been very, I mean, episodic, but there is some continuity. There's a lot of continuity between it, between episodes, but, um, we'll just have to, we'll just have, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, this show has a lot of goodwill, from me already that I'm not that I'm obviously willing to just be like yeah yeah give it a shot and if they need to try some new things go for it so it's not taking away from the other episodes it's just sort of a minute tacked on at the end a couple right. minutes at the end minutes right. the um, when you said four you reminded me so I meant to talk about this at the top of the show so if you notice in the opening I don't know if you noticed in the opening credits now they they added more to that battle with the Borg ship so now they added the they added the whale probe from Star Trek Four in the middle of all of it. Oh, neat! I did not catch yeah. that. It's becoming like a bigger shit show now. So I love that they uh, I love that they added that. And the Cerritos well. is still running away. Yes, the Cerritos is still running away. Yeah. So, um, and they talk about some other things. I mean, Mariner, of course, mentions that Pike thing that they aren't supposed to talk about. Obviously, we're several weeks removed from their crossover episode on Strange New World, so I like that they made reference to that as well, which was mm. nice. So, but I do have to say, um, that I watched it with Julia, my wife, who has only watched Next Gen, Voyager, and half of Deep Space Nine. But there was only one point where, um, I bumped into her today, by the way, when I was out walking, and she said she was telling me she liked it. Oh, yes, and there was only one point where she laughed out loud, and it was when, um, the lines, uh, Shaka when the walls fell from Ransom, and then Shata, his eyes uncovered, and then Ransom said, I pay attention. <laughs> and they fist bumped. That was the only out loud laugh that uh, Is this your first time watching the show? Lower Decks? No, I've seen a few here and there. Okay. When you would um, talk to me the other day, because I know that you have, like, you're not, like, totally familiar with Voyager, you would ask me, like, you were like, who the fuck is that maniac with the knife? Yeah, so I, so it's funny. So I watched much of Voyager. The Thaw. Instance, yeah. I knew Michael. I knew Chaotica. I did not know the clown. The clown, played by Michael McKean, was in a season two episode of Voyager. He was supposed to be the like a manifestation of fear. 
he kept people like in this dream state. I forget the actual. Oh, he held people world. hostage in this sort of dream. Another world. Like it what? Sounds like a bad episode. It's well, it's Voyager. Crazy shit happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was season two. It's called the Thaw. It's not. It's not a very good episode, in my opinion. Like dream states. So. Yeah. But that's what this, the point of this episode was. They were bringing out all of these plot lines and villainous characters from bad episodes of Voyager. Yes, but also managed to have the Borg in it in a some in a significant way, which was nice. Right. Right. And, and you know, for all of those um, creatures, for how terrible they were, they were able to plot a um, a course to the nearest Borg cube. Exactly. Which it's funny that the Borg seem to always be around, right? Um, yeah. What I was thinking about though when the episode ended, so we've we've gotten a episode at Deep Space Nine. Now we've gotten one of Voyager. I'm really expecting that they really got to lean in, lean hard into Enterprise at some point. Enterprise has gotten a lot of references here and there, but they haven't really leaned heavily into it on any of the shows yet. And I would love to see what Lower Decks does to it at some point if they do. And what would that be? I think that the because I was saying to somebody at one point. You want to talk about crazy, stupid aliens or ridiculous looking aliens. I would love to see Lower Decks take on the Zindi Aquatics. I could see them having a lot I could see them having a lot of fun with that one. Oh yeah. I could see the um the whales having some fun with that. Right. Yeah. Oh speaking of whales, I have to mention Swale Whalens. <laughs> one of the hybrids was named Swale Whalens. Oh, I didn't. And they, I think I noticed that one. Yeah, yeah. So the whale hybrid with the person. Yeah. Um, the doctor and Billups said, uh, "Oh, this is Swale Whalens." No, I mean, admittedly, not my best work. And they said, "I want fish." <laughs> um, I had to like look really quickly because remember, I, I, I was wondering if that Klingon ship we saw was that same one that we had seen. I think last season when we saw the Klingon lower decks. Um, I wondered if that was the same. Oh, right. It doesn't I'm look sure like it doesn't thing. look doesn't look like it is. Yeah. No, I was yeah. expecting it would be since we got um, to Lynn. That would sort of be a nice circular thing. Right. They were also there. Yeah. Right, but um, I think that was Wedge Dude was the name of that episode when we saw those. Could be. Yeah, that was. Um, God, no, that was that was season two. That's right. That was season two because when season two ended, we thought that Talyn was going to come into season three. Oh, that's right. And we're, like, you... we're like, where's Talyn? Why isn't Talyn on the show yet? Yeah. God, it was that long ago. Jesus, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I think that brings us to I Have No Bones, yet I must flee. The Oh, that's right. So, yeah. So as everybody knows, two episodes released at the same time so we're going to be talking about both episodes in this in this episode so yes so i have no bones yet i must flee which to me is hilarious and sounds like an original series episode title because it's that super long phrase mm -hmm. and something about the yet in it just gives it an original series vibe to me and it's plus it's hilarious to live, to just read it before you have the context of the episode right right uh, so this episode is written by a person, of course. How could it not be? 
Aaron. Unless they use ChatGPT. Sorry, go ahead. Aaron Burnett. Aaron Burnett. Aaron Burnett is an actor, comedian, and um, has been a writer on a bunch of things, but uh, nothing of note to me anyway, except maybe like Upright Citizens Brigade comedy originals, which Upright Citizens Brigade is the uh, comedy troupe mm-hmm. in New York and I think some other cities, maybe LA, I think there's one. Okay. Um, yep. And the director, Megan Lloyd, has worked on many uh, animated shows, Transformers, Earth Spark, Trick or Treat, Scooby-Doo, Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, yep, um, and the Dresden Files. Some of that sounds familiar. I think we there was some... I remember mentioning Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous at one point in reference to a Lower Decks writer, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the director now. But, or direct, yeah, some, some, somebody. Some, I, I remember what the next Empire Diaries of uh, Star Trek. Oh, God. <laughs> the um, the well, minor leagues for Star Trek. Well, I, I remember mentioning that because I think whoever I'd been mentioning or whoever we had been talking about, the people we've been talking about, it seemed like a lot of the people involved have a, had, a, had a healthy dose of animated television background. It wasn't just anybody, right? They'd worked on all these other animated shows, so... And then plus, those are the ones that stick out because, you know, I know what Jurassic yeah. Park is. So, so this one is... Um, Seinfeld vibes on this one. Interesting you say Seinfeld vibes. I also think sitcom vibes. Yeah. In another way. Yeah. So... Yeah, so this one, we have a classic menage. We do. We do. I mean, um, so it picks up where we left off last in the last episode, almost last week. Where everybody has a promotion except for Rutherford. And mm-hmm. one of the plots of the episode deals with... Wait, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. Yes. It's not where we pick up. We pick up with, I think, on par with the insane references from Voyager, we have the best and most insane Next Generation reference. How we really pick up. Oh, what? what? <laughs> Actually, let me... Before we even do that, let me pick up on something else sorry okay you pick up because we ended the last one with the setting up of the potential baddie of the season and that's where this episode begins yes yeah, so we, we should actually begin that it was very funny that the romulans are all plotting to undermine each other yes and they're all aware of each other they're all aware of doing it yes yeah you return to being suspicious what is the captain yeah. he says to the captain like no i've wanted your downfall i've always wanted your downfall Yes, I want you down like this. They make no secret about it. But um yeah, the the Romulan lower decks are cleaning up after torturing a Reman, as we had seen Remans from Star Trek Nemesis, and they get attacked by this mysterious villain. And they're destroyed very much in the same way. The Klingons are destroyed, you see the Klingon Empire logo floating in space, and it ends with the Romulans. And they don't say the chant, like with the probe in um Star Trek Four. Correct. Kind of tearing through them, they don't. They have no hope against it. In the probe's defense, though, it was like disabling ships. I think unintentionally. I think its signal was just, you know, disabling yeah. ships, not meaning to, right? But yeah, yeah. So we pick up there. Then we pick up. Sorry, then, let's go back to you. Next generation. Yeah. Then we pick up the greatest and most hilarious next generation tribute, where we have Shax and Ransom are doing the uh, Troy and Beverly. Yep. Um, aerobic stretching. 
With the same leotards on. It's moments like those where I say to myself, okay, Marina Sirtis, I need you to talk about this on Twitter and tell us what you think. Because, I mean, Marina Sirtis, I think, has said that that was the most stupidest scene that she ever had to record. Right. Just so people could look at them in tight clothes. Yes. Yeah. Um, But it's completely hilarious. And I even think that after when... um, uh, I think it's Ransom says Hot Fudge Sundays after this. I think that was another Troy tribute because didn't it she love her and her Hot Fudge Sundays? You know, yes. You know what it was? I, I never had this thought watching the show, but in that specific moment when they were doing that, for some reason, like my mind just went straight to like airplane and the naked gun and police squad. Like it was, it was like so on the nose, right? And I know the show has made references like that before, but like I never had that thought in my head to like that kind of humor and like they did it so perfectly yes and how easy it was all they had to do was have those guys in those and have them stretching in the same stupid way i think it's i I think it's because they it was the way they did it and that they didn't really seem to make reference to the absurdity of it they just did it like it was totally normal lower decks is a very funny show it's often self-aware of its humor but sometimes it's not and this joke specifically they weren't referencing it in any way like they just did it like oh everybody wears these, like as if to say like to suggest like everybody wears these leotards everybody stretches right, like this. This is a starfleet this is an official starfleet activity <laughs> yes absolutely and also in, in a way it could also be seen as a criticism of the sexist nature of the original scene by just just by making it two men two men exactly then it becomes ridiculous and silly but well, it was just as it was even more ridiculous and silly right because the they're way. wearing the exact same leotards right it was more accepted yes right so that was, yes, that was fantastic. It was just about a place when, when it was female character. Well, I remember seeing that scene in the trailer, and I just was like, I just paused it, and I was like, oh, my God. They're I'm really... Trailer. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was really, really, really funny. I love that. So then we pick up again, directly following the promotions. So after Rutherford, excuse me, after uh, Boimler... Mariner and Tendi get promoted. They're sort of getting ready to leave their bunks. And Rutherford's the only one who hasn't hasn't been promoted. And so he decides to spend the entire episode figuring out a way to get promoted. And through it, he's now in competition with with another ensign down in engineering who is just doing everything a little bit better than Rutherford is. And so he becomes his basically arch nemesis throughout the entire episode. And this is where a lot of that Seinfeld stuff comes in. Where I forget the name of that officer's name. Do you have it in front of you by chance? The name of the op- The name of the. Oh, uh, I don't. I don't. Whatever his name is, but he keeps every time he gets pissed off, he does the same thing, like you know, shaking his fist, just like they do on Seinfeld when they would say, like, "Oh, no one, Kramer." Yes, yes. He gets a nemesis. Really, he gets a nemesis. Right, right. But also he's doing it like he's doing it like oh i can get promoted no problem and they're saying like no i don't know if you can really do that i don't really know it's gonna if it's gonna be that easy he's like oh no it's engineering i can (laughs) i can just whip up something and i'll get promoted at the end of the day it's fine and what we don't realize is that actually that's true for him yes it is very funny reveal that he's actually turned on several promotions but i've got to say i got a little i was kind of a little sad to see them leave the bunk area already right i i do kind of you know i don't know i i i'm gonna miss that i think 
Well, I mean, they have recreated the bunk in a way. They have. In. Boimler, at least. Right. So he spends the entire episode trying to get promoted. And like I said, he's at he's at odds with, with another ensign. While simultaneously, I feel like I want you to talk about this, Mariner's little mission, because she's promoted and she's not happy about it. And so now we're dealing with Mariner having to go aboard the uh, this other space station, which is essentially like a zoo in space. Not unlike... Classic menagerie. It's yes. a menagerie. It's funny to know that menageries are just super common in, yes. in the Star Trek universe. Everybody, there's been, they're recounting menagerie all over the place. Right. So that's funny. Um, but what I really love is that we have a classic sitcom misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And that drives much of the episode. This is just feels like so many classic sitcom trope uh, episodes. Yep. So you've got Boimler while they're doing their weird stretching, Shaxx and Ransom. Here's Ransom say, well, Boimler won't be my problem anymore soon. Right. And she thinks that's because he's going to demote her. So she decides, well, if he's going to demote me, I'm going to give him a reason to demote me. And I'm going to do all kinds of terrible things on this mission. Mm-hmm. When really he just means he's figured out what her problem is, and it's that she tries to get demoted, it's self-sabotages, but he's going to make sure she doesn't self-sabotage. Right. So we have a misunderstanding where it's completely opposite of what she thinks is really happening. And that sets up great humor because we get to watch her trying to sabotage this her her performance on this mission. Right. And I think a great addition is they bring this fella Gary with them. The scientists. Yep. Named Gary, who gets to just be the third wheel to their insane back and forth. Mm-hmm. The um the museum the uh, it was like what wasn't a museum it was like a it was like a zoo more or less. Or, yeah. Or so zoo. I have a name here. Wait a second. Narges. Wait, wait, wait. Narges Nar-Narges miraculous menagerarium. It reminded me of. Daystrom Station in Picard, in a way, like the way everything was on display. Mm. It reminded me of those, um, the um, natural history museums. Yeah, where they, but there they have the, their like cutouts of Neanderthals and things. They're not cutouts; they're uh, you know statues of them. Yep, it kind of had that vibe to it. Or the Collector from Marvel. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And they spend most of the episode being chased around by an adorable little creature. Yeah, that's Jigglypuff. Very, that's very deadly. Yes, exactly. Jigglypuff. Exactly no, no, not Jigglypuff. I mean, uh, Kirby. No, 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 not Kirby. It's Moopy. Yes. Who, again, adorable, but also very deadly. I feel, I feel like a, a plot device we've seen on the show, I feel like before, but I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering. Haven't yeah. we seen something very adorable, but also be very lethal? A classic plot device going back to um, Monty Python and the rabbit that. Uh, from but nothing, nothing. But nothing on this show. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm I just think thinking of Badgie. Something. Maybe I'm thinking of Badgie. I don't know. But um, it's great the reveal of the creature because, of course, one of the things that Mariner's doing to try to undermine the mission is just criticizing Narge and his menagerie. Yeah. And uh, so she's saying, you know, well, why are you keeping this poor cute creature in a cage? And he says, that's the most deadly creature. It'll drink your bones. And as we see, it, it actually does. It actually does drink your bones. My favorite plot of the episode, though, has to be Boimler's plot in trying to get the right quarters. So 
going back to the again another Seinfeld plot. I like that initially he has quarters right next to the buzzer collectors on the Cerritos. So you have that pulsating red light from the front of themselves just coming right in. Very much like the Kenny Rogers chicken on Seinfeld going right into Kramer's apartment. And what I love, one of the things about that I love is it's combined with Rutherford trying to get promoted. He figures out a way to increase engine efficiency, thus making the light even (laughs) like 50 times brighter. But what I love yeah. about what I really enjoyed about that is that, you know, so many times we've seen the Enterprise fly, the Enterprise D specifically fly by and, you know, you see where the nacelles are. And I don't think anybody really gave it much thought. I certainly never did. You know, what about those windows that kind of face the nacelles? Is it really bright? Like, what would that be like? Mm. And yeah, is there any radiation coming off of the cell? I have to imagine that, like, because Mike McMahon is very much into, I know, TNG and like the technical manuals and like that. I'm saying to myself, I can totally see him, like, maybe looking at a picture of the Enterprise, looking at the technical manuals, thinking, like, what would it be like to be in that room right there? Would it be unbearably bright? Like, what would that even be like? And, yeah, and I guess what we see. <laughs> And what there is is probably what there really would be, which is just a way to change the tint on your window. Right. But of course, Bruno doesn't know that and is not going to ask anyone. But I also don't want to lose sight of the fact that, like, he does temporarily move out of those quarters and winds up. And it, even more crazy quarters. It leads to one of my, so far, one of my favorite moments in Lower Decks ever. He gets a, he gets quarters right in between the two holodecks and he can hear the, and he can hear the hollow programs running on either side of the wall. Mm-hmm. which I thought was just so, I thought was so fucking brilliant. It was hilarious. Yeah. It was hilarious. And you like, got, um, you got the, the captain doctor. Freeman. She's like running a program where she's like Federation president. Yep. And then you have the doctor saying to Shaq, I'm Robin Hood now, Shaq, hold him down. And Shaq says, I don't know. You've already heard him pretty bad. Just like the doctor is wild. I love how, as advanced as we may get in Star Trek, we still have the problem of thin walls and bright lights coming through windows. Like, that's not something that they've really, you know... Although, although with the lights they did, yeah. There probably was a setting he could have changed to make the walls less sound, uh, more sound resistant, but... But just the idea that, like, like, there was even a room, like quarters, between both holodecks. Yes, that would make no sense. And I think he even asked that at a point. Why would they put a... Right. Between the well, and I think it also speaks to just the California class ship itself. Like, yeah, that's probably like, it's like moving into like a, you know, a badly designed apartment, right? From like years ago. Like it's the same, it's like maybe the same thing with the Cerritos. Like there's some really shitty design, interior design to it. Like they just, they'll just put quarters in really stupid places. So, mm-hmm. but that was of this episode, that was my favorite. That was my favorite subplot. Watching him struggle, try to settle into his quarters because he just couldn't find a decent place to live on the ship. And then we eventually even see him moving into the Jeffrey's tube, right? With his uh, action figures. With his action figures, right? <laughs> right. Um, and he has to deal with the rivalry between Rutherford and the other um, engineering person. Because they're coming through, they're trying to make the ship mildly more efficient. Right. And he mentions like, oh, yeah, because he runs into Rutherford and he goes, oh, yeah, there was an incident here just a little while ago. And he's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. So. I really like to, when they show him in his red room, like there's a point where 
it they just have so saturated the screen that you can barely even make out Rutherford right. in it. So I think that was a great um, way of just showing how how it, bright it was. I mean, it, it certainly had it certainly had callbacks, I think, to the J.J. Abrams lens flares, right? Because I think there were a couple of scenes in Into Darkness that are so bright that you can't make out anything for like a few seconds. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so one interesting kind of character thing is that Mariner actually is hurt that uh, Ransom was not believing in her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then they have this heart-to-heart where they figure out what's really going on, and it's actually that Ransom is actually a pretty great uh, person to have above you because he figures out what has been going on with her and aims to fix it. So, you know, Ransom, who's really was portrayed as kind of just a uh, overconfident, silly per- silly fool for a lot of the first, of the first season, now has become uh, more likable of a character. Yeah, and if you remember last season, I mean, he was also personally assigned to oversee Mariner, right? Which still seems to be the case this season. Yes. You sing it seriously. Yeah. I love when Mariner punches out all of his teeth and just beats the hell out of him. And it's toward the end of the episode. He comes forward and he goes, we shave my eyes. Yeah. He's speaking with no teeth. Yeah. I just it was silly, weak. but it was funny. Her first punch is very weak, and then he says, no, punch me for real. She's very quick to start knocking his teeth out. Right. But then when he gets the teeth replacement, of course, they're, like, so over the top, and it's, like, perfectly, it's, like, perfect for ransom. Yeah, they know what I call them as Biden, Biden teeth. Yes. Biden's got this um, big face. One thing I wanted to point out, so when Rutherford is in engineering, I don't know if you caught this, they had those orange tubes, that orange tube prop that has been seen on like every single Star Trek yes. show. And these are all different things, right? E- right. They just sit there. Like they were even in Airplane 2. They originate on the Wrath of Khan. Like that's how far back they go. Yeah. And um, they even actually give them a name. They're called Tucker Tubes. Yes. After Trip Tucker. Um, probably, Trip yeah. Tucker. And then the other ensign, there's always two of them. And the other ensign he's in rivalry with create, builds a new one. There's three of them. Yeah, see, he, he, um, Rutherford only makes them um, more efficient, but yeah. his rival makes three of them. When you see them, I remember when you see them in Airplane 2, they're at one of the um, the space station, that the moon base that Shatner's character is at. And it's when he's sort of going around the room getting all these reports from all these people, and he's he shows them the orange tubes. And they said, "We, I'm, I've been working on this, sir, and it has no, it has no function whatsoever." And, he, and he's like, "No function whatsoever. Why would somebody spend all this money to to just build something where the where the light just spins round and round and round? Like he has no idea. He's like, it must have some function, but it has. It's had no. That prop has appeared so many times throughout the various Trek shows in various places. Yeah, and it just sort of it's like either in the foreground in the background, like, but nobody ever. You never actually see anybody really using it." Just like, yeah, we need to make it look more sciencey over here. We're gonna exactly, exactly. Like that's what that's for. So I love, I love that lower decks brought that brought that thing back. That was fantastic. So what happened is, they break out Ransom's teeth, essentially to lead Moopsy with the bone bits, which teeth are sort of bones, um, back into Moopsy's pen. 
And then they find out it was the humans that let Ramoopsie out because they wanted to kill Nars and take over the menagerie to make yep. money. What do they say about humans? Like, oh, you know, we don't have sharp teeth. Or we don't have like fangs or sharp teeth or something like that, but we're still awful people. <laughs> yes, Gary was trying to say that uh, yeah. humans are, are not as bad because they don't have sharp teeth. And once he found out what they did, he says, ah, oh, crap, I was wrong. Humans are terrible. And in the end, we find out that Rutherford actually had multiple opportunities to get promoted and he turned them all down. Yeah, so <laughs> Tendi just said, Hey, Phillips, can you get a promotion? For that thing you did? Oh, yeah, promoted. sure. Well, because to be clear, you know, the it's other ensign that he was in rivalry with was about to get promoted. Yes. And he just takes it, doesn't put it on his rival and throws it over to. So Rutherford. he is now like his rest of his lower decker friends, a lieutenant junior grade, and he's now roomies with. Um, Boimler back in the original quarters that he was in, he just turns down. There's like a shade, you know. There's a filter on the uh, on the uh, windows that he can that he can use, and so they're back to being bunkmates, which is great. Mm-hmm. I noticed that what I noticed that the little um, gadget that Rutherford was messing with, where he says like, "Oh, I think he says I'm like, oh, you don't mind if I work on some stuff, you know? Sometimes, do you?" The actual prop he's using was Wesley Crush's tractor beam generator from the second episode of next generation from the naked now ah, so they brought hilarious. they brought two props back from uh from trek which i love that's excellent they can bring back all the props all they have to do is draw them it's great exactly yeah so how do you feel so far like you know two episodes in obviously we've got a we've you know we have eight left but i think it's they've gotten off to a really good start they sort of i think hit the ground running this season they just got right they just got right into it there's been no kind of like slow burn it's just been it's been good right out of the gate i think i agree i agree i do think it's a little strange and here's why that they put out two episodes given that there's a writer strike and an actor strike Hmm. and they may soon be short on content why would they burn two episodes in one week i suspect I i could be wrong about this i suspect because it was like star trek daytime time frame i don't know I mean, they did it with Strange New Worlds. Remember, they released the yeah. that episode, the crossover episode with them a few days early. So I don't know. Um, but I do think the episodes are up to they're up to the lower deck standards, and uh, it's yeah. quite nice. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention to you because you reminded me by saying lack of content. So um, I was on the Star Trek Reddit a few days ago. And we were actually talking about the the sort of upcoming gap in content that we're going to be faced with as soon as, um, you know, this, well, as soon as Discovery Season 5 concludes in early 2024. Obviously, with the writer's strike still going on, the actor's strike still going mm-hmm. on, it's not really clear when we're going to see new Trek after Discovery. I mean, it's probably not going to be, I mean, if I had to guess, I, I bet we're not going to see Strange New Worlds until like 2025, maybe. Somebody on Reddit, I thought, I have to I, I have to give credit, I don't know what their name was, had this really, what I thought to be a brilliant idea. Obviously, Deep Space Nine and Voyager have not been remastered yet. And whether that will actually happen, who knows. Somebody had f- somehow figured out, they said, you know, they knew what it cost to remaster TNG. And the method that they use to remaster TNG that have to apply to both DS9 and Voyager, at least for a time, because the shows did eventually switch over to CGI fully. But they'll, they'll, they would have to apply that same remastering method to those shows. I think it would I think it would total in at like seven seasons across two shows. 
And the price tag that it cost to do that with TNG was like, I think they said just came short of like two episodes of discovery budget, which is, did they, did they adjust for inflation? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, but, but it sparked this very interesting discussion that I was really into, which is, can you imagine if during the, during this again, glut of content, between the between the uh when Strange Worlds comes back, if they did actually decide to do that and and you know remaster DS9 and Voyager and just slowly release them exclusively on Paramount Plus. Kind of like how they did with the motion picture director's edition. Remember it was exclusively on Paramount Plus before it eventually came to disc. And I thought to myself, that is actually a pretty brilliant idea. You know, I know it's older content, but fans have been clamoring to get those shows in high definition for a long time. And as you and I saw in the DS9 documentary and everybody else who saw it, the show looked amazing in Yeah, I think that would definitely def. be a way to keep for people like me to hold on to their Paramount Plus subscription. Because if I know there's no Star Trek shows on the horizon, I'm right. going to cancel Paramount Plus. Right. There's nothing I want it for. Right. So... Yeah, I think that would be a great way to keep people on board. It wouldn't cost them that much money. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that there are lots of factors that we don't consider. Possibly. That go into these things, Possibly. given how weird streaming is. But yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, and I was, I did some research. And I found out that they did that with Friends. And I guess when they remastered Friends, all of these different streaming platforms were clamoring to get it exclusively onto theirs. And I forget which one ended up with it. But once they got it, it was, I mean, Friends is a popular show anyway, but the the viewership for it, like the metrics just kind of went through the roof. Um, I don't know if it's because it was on high definition, but right. um, I don't know if this, but Star Trek fans are a different kind of audience. But you remember that Next Generation has been super popular on streaming. Right. So there's no reason to think that Voyager or Deep Space Nine couldn't catch on in a similar way. I also think that that future proofs the shows in a way too, because as TV screens get better, as image quality, video quality gets better, eventually these shows that were shot years and years ago will not be be very difficult to stream they will not look good anymore i mean you're kind of already seeing it happening with shows that were shot on videotape right years and years ago they don't play well on modern screens and i think that if they do that with ds9 and voyager it just assures that they have a long life well beyond just the standard definition that they are in you don't want you know you don't want there to be a trek show eventually that you can't watch so yeah i i yeah i can see them maybe doing something with ai too but i I don't know i don't know i think that's i understand that it's necessary yeah i don't fully get it because it doesn't matter to me you know i watch old shows i watch old movies Hmm. the format doesn't bother me but i do get that it does for some people i guess yeah 
So, yeah, I mean, in fact, that next gen is so popular. Who knows? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that it has been updated to play better on modern screens and devices. Yeah. I, I would love I would love to see them do that. And I think it'd be a really great thing for Trek fans. And um, again, if it essentially, if doing an entire series essentially equates to, as you say, if it is adjust, indeed adjusted for inflation and it equates to two, maybe three episodes of Discovery, I mean, and the thing is you have a built-in audience. You know people, you know that people are going to watch that. Right. And you know that you don't, you're not spending money on anything else at that right. time. Right. Right. So that's, that's, and as, but as you say, there could be other factors involved that we're just not aware of, but I think that would be a really great thing for them to do. I think one other thing along these lines that I think is worth mentioning is the fact that I know this is lower decks, but the fact that strange new worlds will be airing on CBS, correct? Yes. I think it did last Friday. I started. So the fact that so. it has done so well in streaming, mm-hmm. I think there's a real chance that this show could do very well. Because to people who aren't up on what's happening with Star Trek, to them it's just, oh, there's some new Star Trek show on TV. Right. Maybe they haven't been paying attention at all. So to them, this is the first new Star Trek show in, in decades. Yeah. And um, so they're going to tune in. And, you know, as we know, it's a pretty quality show. And it, it um, a lot of people seem to be enjoying it. Don't it's interesting too that like it's that show specifically, which I think really just speaks to its popularity. I mean, they could have done that with they could have aired Picard on CBS. Right, or more discovery. Or more discovery. But they chose but they know, that show. They know what's working, yes. Well, also the it's they're still pulling the metrics for Strange New Worlds and the Nielsen rankings. And I think what they are now is where is on Subspace Rhapsody. It's still continually appearing in the Nielsen top ten streaming. Twelve. So, yeah, I think that just further confirms your point that it's putting it on CBS is a really fantastic idea. So, agreed. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention? Any odds and ends before we wrap up? No odds and ends for me this time. Okay. All right. I don't know the name of next week's episode of Stra- of sure. um, Lower Decks. I, I was just looking. Do you have it? I likely will in just a moment. Okay. Lower Decks. I thought I had seen all the episode titles were released, but uh, Memory Alpha doesn't seem to have them. Let's see. Well, let's Take a look. In the Cradle of Vexalong. That is the name of next week's episode. Interesting. Yep, in the Cradle of Vexalong. Okay. That's it. No, uh, you don't know who wrote it, directed it yet? Oh, I know that. Okay, you're going to save that? No. I'll tell you, but I just won't tell you what they did. Brandon Williams and Ben Waller. Okay. All right. Cool. Wonder if we'll get more on this villain that's rearing its ugly head. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I wonder if it's going to be like a uh, Spock's brother situation. <sighs> yeah, I hope not. 
So, all right. I think that'll do it then. So we'll see everybody next week for that episode. And if you want to connect with us outside of the show, you can do so at in the Star Trek We Trust podcast on Instagram. And I may bring us over to Instagram threads, which is essentially Instagram's Twitter. So I may I may bring us over there too and replace our Twitter account. So um, nice. You mean our X account? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry, dude. Twitter's been around forever. It's that's quite an adjustment. Yeah. What a what a weird business idea. Take a name that everyone knows and change it. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Uh, but yes, I just looked actually Stranger Worlds is in 10th place on original streaming on the Nielsen right now. And is that for rap, Subspace Rhapsody or is it just... Is, is I don't it know. Okay. Don't they, they measured them a couple weeks behind. And I think where I last saw it, it was for that episode. And that was the, as I recall, wasn't that like the penultimate? That was, right, that was this episode right from yes. the finale, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good for them. Yeah, good for them indeed. They they deserve it. I do wonder if Lower Decks is getting a boost because of them since that crossover episode. Yeah, I would like to think so. Yeah. Fun show. We'll see. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Later.